Welcome to T-Bear Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Christine Akins, and I'm delighted to be your host. I've spent my career helping people prepare for retirement. My colleagues joining me today are financial professionals who help people on their retirement journey, whether they're planning for retirement or are already there. We know that healthcare costs are one of the main financial concerns for those nearing or in retirement, and not knowing how to prepare for that can be a confidence killer. In fact, our annual retirement savings and spending study found that 74% of people want some assistance on how to manage healthcare expenses in retirement. One insurance option that has been gaining traction and more adoption among employers and workers is high deductible health plans. The health savings accounts, or HSAs, that accompany those plans are what we're going to be discussing in depth today. My guests are going to talk about the tax benefits of these accounts and how it can fit into an overall retirement planning strategy. I'm joined by Patrick Delaney, a retirement expert and certified financial planner, professional Roger Young. Welcome to the show, Patrick and Roger. Thanks for having us, Christine. It's great to be here. So this is a podcast where we discuss retirement topics. Why are we talking about accounts used for healthcare expenses? Roger. So first, as you mentioned, you know, people are very concerned about healthcare expenses in retirement. It's not the biggest expense in retirement, but it is one that people worry about a lot and one that tends to grow the most during the course of retirement. So health savings accounts can be a great way to pay for those expenses in retirement. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate that potential use of an HSA. So I think it makes sense to, to tell people about how they can use those. Yeah, we're talking about helping people save for retirement and maintain their standard of living in retirement and live a fruitful retirement lifestyle. And their top fears about retirement are health, healthcare expenses, being able to maintain your standard of living and meeting your monthly expenses. So you, you can't talk about helping people retire effectively without addressing healthcare and healthcare expenses. You know, we hear from many of our clients that they're concerned about the cost of healthcare and retirement, that they know they should plan for it but they're unsure of how big of an expense it is. Patrick, can you help us with that? We know that there are very well-known annual studies that hang, we'll call it a quote, mid-six-figure price tag on the total cost of healthcare in retirement. That's for a healthy 65-year-old couple retiring today. Roger, would you add to that? Yeah, I think you know Patrick's being a little tongue-in-cheek about you know the massive six-figure number, and you know we think about it as a manageable annual expense rather than you know this you know big six-figure you know word healthcare. But it is a, it's a legitimate concern for people. It's an expense that is largely predictable in premiums, but there's also that uncertainty of are you going to need long-term care. You know, what things can happen that are beyond the, the predictable premiums. So I think we want to talk today about health savings accounts for retirement as a way to prepare as opposed to something that you should panic about. And just a, one quick thought, putting a lump sum figure on healthcare and retirement is about as useful as putting a lump sum figure on the amount that you're going to pay in home internet in retirement. It, it's pointless because you, you break it down into manageable payments over the course of a long period of time. We're going to dish up a little alphabet soup and introduce some new terms and acronyms for our listeners. There's a lot of different arrangements that people can use to pay for healthcare expenses like FSAs and HRAs. How is an HSA different, Roger? Well, let me let me start with what an HSA is and then we can talk about the differences. So, if you contribute to a high deductible health plan, you know, you might hear HDHP, then you are eligible to put money into a health savings account. And an employer can also put money into that. To have a high deductible health plan, for 2023, 
the minimum deductibles for a high deductible plan will be $1,500 for an individual or $3,000 for family coverage. Okay, So that's the restriction for being part of an HSA. In contrast, the HRA is a health reimbursement arrangement that's funded only by the employer and gives you tax-free reimbursements for medical expenses, but it's not portable to other companies. You can't fully carry over that money year to year, which you can with an HSA. A flexible spending account you know, can be for medical or dependent care. That also is something that, you know, like an HSA, is funded by pre-tax dollars by an individual. An employer can also kick in. But if you don't use that money in a calendar year, you could lose that. There's a limit to the carryover. So the HSA has some nice benefits in terms of being your account. You can take that after you leave an employer. You can carry it over indefinitely. You can use that money in future years. So you don't have that use it or lose it issue. So we've heard that HSAs offer a triple tax benefit. I'm definitely listening. What are the tax advantages of an HSA, Patrick? Yes, Christine. It has a very unique combination of tax features. The money goes into the accounts tax deferred, the earnings can grow tax-free, and if you withdraw the money for qualified medical expenses, the money can come out tax-free as well. I would add to that that it's kind of combining the benefits of you know a Roth account and the pre-tax strategies in a traditional you know IRA or 401k. One other quick point is you get this triple tax benefit, especially if you invest it for the long term. And that's something we're going to emphasize, that that third part of it, the benefit of the deferral over time of those gains, that really depends largely on your using this as an investment account. You know, HSAs may be surprising because they can be used for a lot more than what people may think. Roger, what can you use your HSA for? You really want to use it for those qualified medical expenses. So a little more detail on that. You know, generally, those would include expenses that you could have itemized if you itemized deductions. But a lot of people don't itemize deductions anymore, and there are limits on itemizing medical expenses. So it's nice that you can use them all as money that you can take out of your HSA. There are some nuances, especially when it comes to insurance premiums. So some insurance premiums are qualified expenses for an HSA. For example, Medicare premiums, long-term care insurance premiums, specifically long-term care, uh, COBRA, if you're between jobs, okay, those types of premiums are eligible for taking out of an, an HSA, coverage while you're unemployed with some certain rules to it. Now, other types of premiums, though, like you know the standard premiums you have as an employee, those are not qualified expenses that you can use an HSA for. And notably, once you're retired, if you get a supplemental plan known as a Medigap plan, those premiums are not qualified. So you do have to be careful. And I mentioned long-term care insurance, hybrid policies that are both life insurance and long-term care policies, those don't count for an HSA. So you got to be careful. But a lot of things, your standard out-of-pocket expenses are considered qualified. Great insights. Thanks, Roger. Patrick, how much can I contribute to an HSA? Yeah, the amounts that you can contribute are $3,650 for an individual and $7,300 for a family for this year. And next year in 2023, that's going to go up to $3,850 for an individual and $7,750 for a family. If you are over 55, similar to 401k contributions, there is a catch-up, which is $1,000 for those over 55. And it probably begs noting here that if employers contribute to an HSA, that 
goes towards that total amount. So if they're putting in money, the employer money isn't in addition to what you put in. You know, you mentioned that you need a high deductible plan to contribute to an HSA. If I have a choice between a high deductible plan and a more traditional one, how do I go about making that decision? Roger, can you help us? First, I think I want people to appreciate that this is primarily a health insurance decision. And so it should be based largely on the expected level of expenses that, that you have and also you know some of the details of the plans. In general, the more you expect in expenses, the more you would prefer to have a lower deductible, a kind of you know, more traditional plan as opposed to a high deductible plan. So let's think about how to go through the decision. First, your health and the insurance aspect. Now, you might want to use tools that are provided by your employer to help you. So you may have seen some of these kind of automated systems. So it goes something like this. Hi, I'm Ernie. I'm your automated healthcare expert. Patrick, how many expenses do you expect to have next year? How many times do you expect to go to the doctor in the next year? I mean, at least 47 to 57 times, Roger. 47 times. We'll make a note of that. Next, how many elective surgeries do you expect to have, Patrick? Two elective and three non-elective. Excellent. Based on what you've told me, we recommend that you consider the aluminum plan with a high deductible. So it goes something like that. Now, we recognize it can be hard to estimate your expenses. The least you could do is just go back and see what you actually incurred in the previous year. That can be a guideline for you. And I'm going to give you a, a quick rule of thumb in case you don't have Ernie helping you with that decision. A rule of thumb would be add up the difference in the premiums between the two plans with the deductible on the lower deductible plan. Okay, so for example, you've got a choice between a plan that has a $5,000 annual premium and a $6,000 annual premium. And the lower deductible is, say, $1,200. So you've got a difference of $1,000 plus $1,200 deductible. That's $2,200. That's roughly the break-even point. So if you expect to incur out-of-pocket more than that $2,200 of expenses, you would prefer the more traditional lower deductible plan. If you expect less in expenses, then you would prefer to go with the high deductible plan. I, I don't know about you, Patrick, but for me personally, it comes down to, you know, whether my kids are going to the emergency room in, in a given year. Yeah, I think the decision tree can start with some common sense here. I mean, are you relatively healthy? As you said, it's an insurance decision or a health decision first and foremost. If you're not going to the doctor a lot, you don't find yourself in emergency rooms, you're not breaking limbs, playing weekend sports like my cousin used to do, then that could be decision one for considering a further evaluation of a high deductible plan with an HSA. I also think my brother and his wife are in a perfect scenario here. I mean, he's 40, she's 35 no kids, both great jobs, relatively healthy, high earners. I mean, that right off the bat, I mean, they're using an HSA. And as we'll talk a little bit later in terms of the investment portion, uh, they're maxing out their contributions. Yeah. So you, you bring up a good point that, you know, after you think about the insurance aspect, you know, you want to consider your cash flow. Are you in a position to put money into an HSA? That can affect it. For example, if your employer puts in some money into the HSA, when does that happen compared to when might you have a big medical expense? So cash flow is important. And then finally, if you're in a position to invest long-term in a health savings account, that could really tip the scales 
and provide those additional tax benefits, the full triple tax benefit. So for example, suppose you're in 25% marginal income tax rate, and that includes federal and, and state taxes. You're about 10 years from retirement, and you make the maximum individual HSA contribution $3,650. We estimate, with some reasonable assumptions on returns and discount rate and all that type of stuff, that could potentially be worth more than, say, a comparable Roth contribution. And that difference when combined with considering this from an insurance standpoint, could tip you towards wanting to use the high deductible plan with an HSA. So earlier on, we introduced the topic of tax benefits associated with HSAs. Patrick, can you give us a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, so we've covered the the unparalleled triple tax benefit. Now, once you're 65, your HSA is treated like a traditional IRA or 401k if you withdraw the money for non-medical expenses. So you retire, you're over 65, uh, you're healthy, you don't have a ton of medical expenses, you want to go buy a boat, you want to buy a piece of real estate, something like that, you can withdraw the money from an HSA. It's just seen at that point as ordinary income and you pay the, the income taxes on it. Another thing I'd add is a really nice benefit of the HSA. You can basically save up your expenses over the years. If you don't take the money out for an expense in one year, you can, in a later year, use that expense from a previous year, you know, as long as you already were in an HSA, you know, a high deductible plan, and take the money out later. So that's a, a really nice feature if you're capable of keeping all of those, you know, those medical expense records, you know, kind of like, you know, an old fashioned shoebox of, of receipts. And I know, you know, some people are more comfortable with that than others. Patrick, we've talked about some people love keeping those records, other people not so much. Can we dive into this a little bit more? Because this this comes up in so many conversations I have yep. with financial professionals around the country on HSAs. Break this down practically. So I, I go to the doctor. My, my, my daughter goes to the doctor. I pay this money out of pocket today. Mm-hmm. I keep that receipt. I keep that record. I keep that health insurance claim. And then later in life, I can go back and withdraw the money from an HSA tax-free. Walk me through the, the process of that. I mean, how do I withdraw the money? What do I show the HSA provider so that they know this is a qualified expense? I just show them the record of the, this doctor visit from 20 years ago? To be honest with you, you just kind of have to keep the record yourself. You have to be able to support it if you get audited. So, you know, you take the money out and, and you say, you know, this is for qualified expenses. So, yeah, it is something you want to be comfortable with. You know, as with most things tax-related, you want to, you know, talk to a, a tax professional about it. But it is a nice feature that, you know, in a pinch, you can use that money later for something you incurred previously. So, to your shoebox comment, Roger, if, if you're a good keeper of medical records and you've got the financial wherewithal to, to pay for these expenses, call them nominal expenses or normal expenses that occur during the course of the year out of pocket, it can be a very uh, tax lucrative way to withdraw that money later in life for these expenses on a tax-free basis. I think that's a great way to put it. But yes, you do need to be willing to keep those records over a long period of time. If you've got a shoebox at home, you can keep the records. There you go. <laughs> and, and of course, it's easier than ever to download your, your medical expenses from your, your provider. Sure. So Patrick, earlier on, you talked about your brother who seemed like a good candidate for an HSA. Do you have any other examples where it does or doesn't make sense? Yeah, absolutely, Christine. And just to to recap, my brother, relatively young, relatively healthy. He and his wife don't have children, and they're high earners. So that checks a lot of boxes 
for considering a, a high deductible plan with an HSA component to it. On the flip side of that, let's say you've got a couple, the husband is a weekend warrior, he's always getting hurt playing weekend sports. You've got the kids that are only as healthy as the sickest kid in their elementary school. Uh, they're always going to the doctor, they're always going to the hospital. And so it begs a couple more questions. Have they saved in an emergency fund? You certainly don't want to be dipping into an HSA for non-qualified expenses. And, and if they're, they're relatively, I don't want to say unhealthy, but if they find themselves using the medical profession a lot on a monthly basis, uh, that checks a lot of boxes for where a traditional plan uh, that is not high deductible, doesn't have an HSA, feels more appropriate to me. But it, the devil's in the details here because let, let's say a certain demographic, you've got a relatively young person, single, high earner, high tax bracket. You say, well, that checks a lot of boxes for considering a high deductible plan. And then you say, okay, well, well, what does their student debt look like? Are they going back to graduate school? Are they going to law school? Have they saved money in an emergency? So, you know, in our decision tree that we talked about earlier, further down on a couple different branches, you can get into the details as to the hierarchy of savings. If you don't save in an emergency, maybe you want to do that before you save in an HSA. You really have to get into the nuance and the specificity of a person's situation with respect to whether or not they should further consider an HSA or, or a high deductible health plan. But the devil, the devil's in the details and certainly every situation is unique. And one other thing in terms of the specifics, it can also depend on the specifics of your plan. You know, there was some research people did a few years back that, you know, some medical plans and the choices are designed so it's it's nearly a no-brainer to choose a high deductible plan, meaning there are almost no situations in terms of levels of expenses where you turn out better with a more traditional plan. And I think, you know, in some cases, plans were designed trying to get people to go into the, the high deductible plan. Now, that, that may or may not be your situation, but it's worth looking into and running some examples of, okay, well, which, which would be better with, you know, different levels of expenses. If your company does offer that Ernie-like uh, avatar to help you go through that decision tree, it's a good idea to take advantage of it. So, Utilize the resources that your company makes available to you if they have a, a, something to help you with the decision. Certainly deploy those resources. Patrick, do you find that a lot of people take advantage of the investment component of an HSA? The short answer is no. The, the vast majority of folks who are interacting with an HSA put the money in and take the money out in the same exact year. Now, the Really where this triple tax advantage comes into play and where you can really take advantage of that is in the investment portion of the account. So if you save over a, a certain threshold, which a lot of HSA providers will have, then you can start to sock the money away in the long-term investment portion. And a lot of times that looks a lot like the investments available uh, in your 401k or your defined contribution plan. So um, I don't think that there, it requires a special level of investment sophistication or insight. If you're taking advantage of your company's retirement plan today, chances are the investments that you have available in your HSA look very similar to the different types of asset classes and products that are in your 401k. So what are the strategies for using an HSA? Patrick, let's start with you. Yeah, let's, we'll walk through a range of scenarios here, maybe a good, better, best type of approach. I mean, the good scenario is is the way the majority of folks are using it today, which is you're using it for current medical expenses, you're putting the money in, taking the money out in the, in the same year. A better method of using the HSA 
would be to see if you can start to pay for the nominal or normal medical expenses out of pocket, start building multiple years worth of savings through socking the money away in the long-term investment portion of the account. That, 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 that may mean you're, you're paying for doctor's visits, you're paying for physical, something like that, out of pocket or routine prescriptions perhaps. But that's when you start to really take advantage of the investments in there and you're putting it away as a long-term savings vehicle. Now, the best scenario is when you are maxing out investing for the long term without drawing for expenses today, you are really utilizing the triple tax advantage that the HSA makes available to you. Now, there are certain uh, not so great uses of the HSA. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think you alluded earlier to the fact that you don't want to use this for emergency expenses that aren't medical, right? So if you take money out early for a non-qualified expense, you get hit with a 20% penalty. And that's, hey, ouch, that's, that's a bigger penalty than you see with other types of early distributions from other accounts. So that's big. You really don't want to do that. Then another thing that's maybe not ideal would be, you know, you mentioned earlier, you could take money out in retirement for a boat or whatever, And that, again, it's kind of like taking money out of a traditional IRA, but it's not ideal. It's not the best way you can use it. And then finally, this one's a little more nuanced, and and we've kicked this around, Patrick, the idea of leaving a big balance to a non-spouse beneficiary, okay? And... What, what do I call it? I call that uh, suboptimal. Okay, it's you know not horrible, but not not great. You and I differ on the on the definition <laughs> of suboptimal. So, so you know, I'm being gifted a seven hundred thousand dollar HSA for my aunt who just died, and and she left me the card. She left me it just said, "Here's a here's a suboptimal experience <laughs> for you, Patrick." Yes, it kicked me into a higher tax bracket, but uh, generally I'm I'm pretty happy with that six figure HSA balance. But I know ideally from a tax standpoint. Uh, that that is probably a suboptimal experience. I will give you that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good problem to have to get a lot of money given to there you. you. I'm with you. But yes, if there's a way to avoid that, so for example, if you're a spouse inheriting an HSA, well, that you get to treat basically like your own. You probably want to take that money out pretty quickly after your spouse has died, so that you aren't you know potentially bumping up the next generation into a higher tax bracket. You know, and, and we'll just we'll give you some fair warning here. We've used the, the example um, buying a boat after you're age 65. I mean, uh, certainly let us do you a favor. You know the two best days in your life after you buy that boat, right? Uh, go ahead and tell me. It's, uh, it's the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Uh, the two, <laughs> two best days in a boat owner's life. So we can spare you that, that 10 years in between and just say don't buy the boat. So if I have competing financial priorities, how do I decide how much to contribute to an HSA versus paying down debt, other retirement accounts, and saving for college? Roger, can you help us through that? Yeah, uh, Patrick teed that up nicely in that you know, this is one of those other considerations you have to think about in making any decisions, especially one about where you put your next dollar of savings. I would say, usually, if you're offered an employer match in a retirement account, you probably want to get that first before putting money into an HSA. And some people have, have run some math and they say, well, mathematically, the HSA could be better potentially than getting that match. And I would just ask, well, that relies on you're using the HSA long-term for an investment to get, again, that full triple tax benefit. If you're faced with that decision of which one to do, are you really going to keep the money in your HSA long-term? So, you know, after that kind of basic of try your best to get the employer match, I would say it absolutely depends on your situation. What are your other financial 
priorities short term? Is it important to you to pay down debt or, you know, certainly building that emergency fund so you don't have to use an HSA improperly? And ask yourself, how disciplined are you about not tapping into that HSA? You might have every intention of this HSA, I'm going to keep that forever for into retirement, but then you're tempted to use it. It's, it's a lot easier to take money out of an HSA than a retirement account, for example. So lots of considerations. There's no, no one right answer. So what if I had an HSA and no longer participate in an HDHP? Can I still use the funds or make annual contributions, Roger? So two parts to it. You cannot keep contributing if you no longer are in an HDHP. And also this applies with regard to retirement. Once you're in Medicare, you can't contribute to an HSA. However, like we talked about earlier, you can still keep using those funds. So yes, you don't have to worry about, oh, am I going to be in a high deductible plan forever? You can go back and use those funds after you're no longer in a high deductible plan. Well, this has been a great conversation. Let's summarize a few key takeaways for our listeners. Patrick, what would you highlight? One or two things that that folks can do coming away from this conversation is to take stock of of what you spent or what your family has spent on healthcare over the past one to two years. It should be easy to log into your insurer's site and get a good handle on what your healthcare expenses have been like. Check the claims history and obtain that information. And then, I mean, just, again, go through that decision tree, utilize your company's resources, but uh, common sense uh, should lead you or at least steer you in the right direction with respect to evaluating whether or not a high deductible plan would be appropriate for you and your family. So my takeaway, some people talk about health savings accounts like, you know, they're the best thing since sliced bread or since we're talking healthy uh, sliced wheat bread, uh, whole whole wheat (laughs) bread. Uh, they, They do offer tremendous tax benefits if they're used well. But if you're choosing between plans, you need to consider the insurance aspect first. So that's that's kind of basic principles. Only factor in that full triple benefit if you're able to invest long term. You know, Roger and Patrick, we appreciate you walking us through how these HSAs can help us to take control of both our health and financial wellness. And it's hard to believe, but it's time for us to start wrapping the discussion. So we'd like to leave our listeners with a parting thought or a next step. Patrick, let's start with you. So before you get bogged down in the minutia of the math or the, or the plan comparison details with Ernie, your guided avatar, just think of a couple key decision points or considerations that are going to help you make this decision one way or the other. It's are you healthy? Are the people who are potentially covered by your health plan in generally good health, minimal out-of-pocket expenses? Does your income allow you to sock money away for short and long-term goals? And if it's yes to those two, further and serious evaluation of high deductible plans or HSAs would be a good idea. And Roger, what would your parting thought be for our listeners? Suppose you have a health insurance decision coming up. You know, maybe you're listening to this and you have open enrollment coming up. Consider evaluating your high deductible plan, even if you haven't in the past. You know, we've given you a lot of caveats. But even with those high deductible plans, you know, could be more cost effective than you think. So it's worth doing an evaluation. Well, thank you both for joining me today. This has been a terrific conversation. Thanks for having me, Christine. Thanks so much. Again, I'm Christine Akins, and thank you for listening. Please tune in for our next episode, which focuses on bridging the racial retirement savings gap. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And I hope your next step towards retirement is a confident one. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice.
This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. Copyright 2022, T. Rowe Price, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price, invest with confidence, retire with confidence, the bighorn sheep design, and confident conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated, T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated, and T. Rowe Price Investment Management Incorporated are affiliated companies.